Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. This series starts out with a survey, uh, and one of the questions on that survey to a large group of people who regularly attend church, that's part of the setup here, 95% said that they had at least some doubt about their faith. 95% of regular churchgoers that received this survey said that they have at least some doubt about faith. Now, does that number surprise you that it's so high? Now, I know all of you are in the 5% that never doubt, right? (laughs) Actually, to tell you the truth, I don't believe the five who said they didn't. (laughs) I think doubt is part of what it means to walk the journey. You know, maybe those five are so new to their faith that they haven't gotten to that. Maybe they haven't grown into the stage where they experience doubt yet. Uh, So I'm not knocking it either way. I'm just having a laugh here. But 95% said that they had at least some doubt about faith. And you know what? I can include my own self in that too. Now that might sound funny coming from a, uh, coming from a pastor, but it is. And as we go through this series, we're going to not only ask the hard questions, but we're going to talk about why doubt is there and how doubt is actually a good thing that leads us to a truer faith and a deeper and more personal faith too. Uh, now throughout, as we go through the series, we're going to answer a hard question. So today's question is, is there a God? Uh, and where does doubt come into play in that very basic question of, is there a God? Next week, we're going to talk about the Bible. Is the Bible true and how can we believe it? We're going to talk about heaven and hell. We're going to talk about suffering. You get the idea, right? But before we get to today's question of, is there a God? I want to talk about doubt itself and why it is important. And yes, I do believe that it is important to doubt and to recognize our doubt and to lean into it because doubt is a pathway to deeper faith. It helps us see problems that that are in our belief, but at the same time, we also have to admit that there's a bit of a risk in doubt too because sometimes it can paralyze us and keep us from taking action. So let's begin with what healthy doubt looks like. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking over at my wife who's not listening to me. So that's all right. <laughs> I don't know. It was about six months ago or so. Uh, we decided we had a bad experience at the uh, car shop that we, uh, we took her car to and we went to a new one. Uh, and she took her car in and, uh, you know, it's there most of the day, this place we hadn't been before. And finally, she gets the, the uh, call of four major things that need done to her car. And it's going to cost like eleven, twelve hundred dollars to get it all done. Now, Do you know what my first reaction was? That's right. Doubt. (laughs) It was doubt. And in fact, strong doubt. I'm not going to pay that much money. And the the funny thing that I, I found myself saying was, well, the last mechanic never said anything about those. That's right. The mechanic we'd stopped trusting. I was leaning back to, you know, it's as bad as the Israelites thinking they were better off back when they were slaves. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. Neither my wife or I are car experts. Now, um, uh, her dad is uh, good with cars. My dad's good with cars too, but we're not. Uh, but after hearing that, we wrote down the things that they'd said needed done. And I got online and I started researching them. And I realized that they were all things that were at about the right mileage 
package, and uh, it was about time, and that even the prices they told us were in the ballpark. <laughs> so my doubt began to give way. My doubt led me, healthy doubt, led me to do my homework and to do some research and to learn more about what was going on. But the healthy doubt also led, me, uh, led us to take action. Uh, at least we did a couple of the repairs right away, and we'll do a couple more as time goes on. So see, that doubt was a healthy thing because it caused us to learn and not just say yes blindly. It led to research and then action. You want a bigger example? Let's go with a bigger example. Now, I, I know there are some his, history buffs in our uh, congregation. If so, I would love to know more about this. Um, I have resisted going on the Wikipedia page because I could probably get lost for a while, but it's about the Ku Klux Klan. Now, you know what I mean by the Ku Klux Klan, right? This is uh, in the, uh, the uh, early and mid-1900s. Uh, the uh, Ku Klux Klan were the ones that wear the pointy white hats uh, and were especially against uh, African Americans uh, and any kind of reform and of rights and of equal uh, treatment for African Americans. A lot of what they did was appealed to people's fears. Uh, as I understand it, they were against blacks, immigrants, Jews, and Catholics. They would say, uh, they would say, we don't hate the people, we just believe that America should be for Americans. Okay, now any comparison to the present day, I'm going to leave to you. <laughs> However, there it is. They would say that we don't hate the people. We just think America should be for Americans. And let me give you an exact quote from them. They said, quote, that they existed, quote, to preserve this great nation for its native born through Christ Jesus, our criterion of character. Sounds good right? <laughs> now, first of all, when they say native-born, they're not talking about Native Americans. Let's just set that aside for a minute. But what you see there is that they're taking this, this erroneous belief and they're wrapping it, they're cloaking it in Christianity. Now, some people should have asked, is this really representative of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and the greatest commandment? Because clearly, being against blacks, immigrants, Jews, and Catholics is not in line with what Jesus or, or most anything in the Bible teaches. Yet, the Christians who signed on to the Ku Klux Klan signed on because they didn't doubt. But countless others let their doubts lead them to the teachings of Jesus instead, to the Sermon on the Mount, to the greatest commandments, etc., and realize that the Ku Klux Klan didn't represent real Christianity. Their doubts saved them. Let me say that again. Their doubts saved them from something much worse. So there's an example of how doubt is it can be a very healthy thing because it does save us from our beliefs that may be erroneous or mistaken. That's an obvious one, right? But sometimes they're much more subtle. Okay, so let's take another view of it. Life seldom gives us certainty. Instead, life has a tendency to give us mystery. It gives us uncertainty, and I don't just mean religion. Uncertainty is there in every part of life. For myself, I think of uh, when I was choosing a college major way back when. It was between music and meteorology. I knew that one of those things was going to be the entire story of my life, <laughs> and I put so much pressure on myself to decide between music or uh, meteorology. Now, there were times when I was making that college decision 
decision that I convinced myself that I had a certainty. <laughs> but that certainty always fell apart with doubts of where my heart really was, of what I was truly called to do. Uh, and I chose music. Now, I was a music major for about a year and a half, but after that, I realized that wasn't right either, and so uncertainty, I doubted once again, and I became a meteorology major, and that one, I actually got the degree, but of course, you know where I am now, right? <laughs> Neither one. So those doubts were, were both healthy ones, but they were there in something that had nothing to do even with religion. This is just part of life, this doubt, this uncertainty, and in the midst of it, I wanted wanted certainty so badly that I would try to manufacture it. I would try to make it uh, the truth for me. Now, I'm going to tell you a little more about the decision to go to seminary and become a pastor in a minute, because that's part of my answer to the question of, is there a God? But uh, I will tell you this, even when I applied to seminary, uh, there were, the only way I could do it was to send in that application with no idea where my income or anything else was going to come from. I, I had to leave a career. It was the only way to do it. I had to step into mystery, even though I couldn't see what was on the other side. Now, the other side of this is when doubt paralyzes us. That's when it becomes unhealthy doubt. So what if I had let that doubt, uh, what if I had let my doubt about becoming a pastor stop me from making the leap? What if I had let it paralyze me and stay where I was? You know, it's not hard to imagine a scenario where that might have happened. So doubt is a healthy thing overall. But when we let doubt rule us, when we let the doubt itself have the last word, that's when it becomes a problem. And scripture is full of examples of this. For instance, Adam and Eve and the snake, the serpent. Uh, I'm sure most of you know that story of Adam and Eve and uh, the, the, the serpent, the crafty voice in the ear. Now, we don't, uh, at least I personally don't believe that, uh, that, that, that it was a literal snake or Adam and Eve. This is a, uh, a mythology in the best sense of the word that teaches us about human nature. But isn't it interesting that it includes doubt, that it includes that voice in the ear that says, sure about this tree in the middle of the garden. Or let's go this, a little bit further on, uh, Abraham. Uh, Abraham is held up for his remarkable faith time and time again, and Abraham did have a remarkable faith, and his wife Sarah too. Yet, multiple times, they acted on their doubt in ways that hurt others. They acted on their doubt in ways that hurt others, even in the midst of their remarkable faith. There's Moses who led uh, the Israelites out of slavery. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, even after the whole parting of the Red Sea, you'd think that would make you believe in God for sure, right? Uh, one of the first things they did was start doubting that God would take care of them. They start started doubting that God would provide for them, thinking that they wanted to go back to slavery. That's how strong their doubts were. We could go on. That's only the first two books of the Bible. You get the idea, right? <laughs> to me, the better one to look at, the, the, the healthy doubt to hold up, 
comes from a man in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Now, Ricky read the very first verse of this for us, uh, the, the very last verse of this for us a few minutes ago. If you want, I'm not going to tell you the whole story here, just for time's sake. Uh, uh, you can read the details if you want later. It's Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 27, a story that raises other interesting questions, too. That's part of why I don't want to go into it right now and distract from the point. But there was a man, a father, actually, whose son, was having a terrible time. Uh, things were uh, absolutely horrible. He had, the father did not know if he could be saved. And even when Jesus came around, you could tell that, that he... He kind of believed that Jesus could do it. He kind of believed that Jesus could make this better. And he certainly wanted to believe that Jesus could make it better. Uh, and Jesus said to him, uh, Jesus says to him, kind of challenges on it, uh, him on it, and says all things are possible for the one who has faith. And then the boy's father cries out, are you ready for this? He cries out, I have faith, help my lack of faith. Now, you may know this by an older translations. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I have faith, help my lack of faith. In that moment, that father knew that it was possible to both have faith and not have faith at the same time, that those two, two things can be held together. And as a result of his honesty and the faith that he did bring, faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus did save his son. Now, would you say it with me? I have faith, help my lack of faith. One more time. I have faith, Lord, help my lack of faith. Okay, so let's get to today's question. Does God exist? Now, here's the, here's the bait and switch in the sermon. I can't answer it for you. <laughs> because it's a journey that each of us must be on. It's the kind of journey that we each have to answer for yourself. Uh, there's a whole branch of theology called apologetics. Maybe some of you have learned about it or uh, been into that before or into it now. Uh, and it's a, a part of what they do is try to, uh, try to prove and make arguments for God. And I don't know. I don't connect with it. It doesn't speak to me because there is no way to prove God. There is no way even to argue for God's existence. You can, you can try to argue argue for God's existence, but any argument falls apart sooner or later. So I can't tell you, does God exist or why? I can't answer that question for you. But what I can do is tell you why I believe. And I'm going to put it into three categories. The first is awe and wonder. I believe that the greatest proof of God is in the world around us. Did you hear those Psalms uh, that Ricky read for us earlier about the wonders of the, the heavens, of the sky? It's that feeling of laying on the ground, maybe, maybe when it's warmer out, laying on the ground and looking up at the stars and just being in awe of it. It's about thinking of how wonderfully we're made. And yes, there's evolution. Uh, uh, evolution is certainly part of how God created, but there's there's just there's there's something not so much in the complexity of creation itself, but in the awe and wonder that we feel when we consider it. Um, 
I don't know. See what I mean? I can't answer the question for you. I just know that when I have that sense of awe myself, there's something about it. When I open my heart to that awe and to that wonder, there's something about it that's personal. There's something about it that's relational. We don't even, we don't even need to look that far around. Just the miracle of life, just the miracle of a single object that's in front of you in your room is the proof of God, at least in some ways. That's part of my journey and part of my answer. But another one uh, is the experience of God in my life. And uh, as I was sitting down, I thought of three stories in particular uh, uh, at, that answer that question of why I believe in God. One of them was when I was a teenager. Uh, my uh, family moved around uh, for uh, music reasons, and we happened to be at an evangelical megachurch, believe it or not, when I was, uh, 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 when I was a teenager. And uh, 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 during that time, I got one of those Bibles. Gosh, if we were in person today, it's in my office. I'd hold it up if I could. But I got uh, one of those Bibles that had a reading plan in the back and I just decided I probably ought to read the Bible, you know, if I if I believe in this stuff, if it is so important. And so I did that plan. And oh, I fell behind a few times and caught back up. You know, I think it took me a little longer than the plan was supposed to to get through. But something happened when uh, during that uh, that that year or so of reading through the Bible that it began to change me. It began to form me in a way that other books don't. And that's not against other books. What it is, is that I experienced God through those stories and they began to shape me. Another story that I uh, think of uh, was, um, uh, this one I actually, I don't think I've ever shared before, but uh, perhaps it's time. It was uh, when my grandpa died. Uh, it's, uh, I was a senior in high school and uh, when he was dying, um, I don't remember if there was hospice care, probably, that's the, that's the phase we were in anyway. Uh, there was a time after he had passed that we went into the, into the room and uh, I don't know, it, it, felt, it felt heavy. It felt, no, dark isn't the right word. Um, it was sad, it was overwhelming. You know, heavy is the word that I'm sticking with. We went out for a while, talked with a chaplain or a social worker or something like that. I was a senior in high school. I didn't know how these things work yet. And then they offered for us to go back into the room a second time. And when we went back a second time, the heaviness was gone. The entire room felt different. My grandpa's remains were still there on the hospital bed, but it was it was different. I, I have no words. It, it was it was holy. It was it was uh, I don't even quite know what holy means. It was it was God related, whatever that feeling was when we went back into that room that second time. So that's another of my answers for why I believe in God. Now, here's the rest of the story of what got me to go to seminary and become a pastor. <laughs> you know, most, uh, most pastors, their story of going to seminary is much more boring than mine. Uh, but I'm one of the few who had a, a moment where I knew, a moment that was truly special. It was another moment, kind of like those others I said. Uh, and in my case, uh, I had thought about going to seminary before because I thought it would be fun. Yeah, I know. That puts me in a special category right there. <laughs> but I, w there was one time when I was looking at a seminary website and I was thinking about it and it just, it hit me. I have no other way to say it. It just hit me. And I stared to the side of my computer for, for what felt like half an hour. <laughs> it was probably 30 seconds. Maybe it was five seconds. I don't know. But in that moment, I experienced something. I experienced something personal. I experienced something beyond anything I had experienced before. 
now, I know these stories are my own, and I know there are those who would describe it as delusional. There are those who would describe it in, uh, in other ways, too. Uh, I've since learned that my tendency is toward the mystical, those kinds of experiences of God that are uh, beyond what we can explain. That is my tendency. I've read a lot about them uh, in part of trying to understand my own journey. Much, most people experience God differently than I do. You probably experience it differently. Maybe my stories uh, don't convince you in any way, and they're not meant to. But they're my story, and they're why I believe in God, because of those. The third category, I would say, of why I believe in God is the impact of faith the results. You know, anything good in this world bears good fruit. That's a, an example that Jesus used many times, you know. If a, if a tree is good, if a tree is healthy, it bears good fruit. Well, it's a fruit tree anyway, right? <laughs> and I have seen faith work such change in other people. I've watched people become better. I've watched them become more more their true selves. That's what I mean by better, more their true selves. Uh, I've seen the church, and I mean that in the broadest sense. I've seen congregations, but I've seen the church in all places do such amazing things to care for the hurting, to, sur to surround the grieving, to change their community. I've seen so much fruit born by the church that it tells me that whatever the, whatever the fertilizer is, whatever the roots are planted in, must be real because there's no other way it could result in so much good in the world. If that is what faith leads to, then those works, I believe, are evidence that faith is real. So those are my reasons for believing that God exists. What are yours? Think about it. You haven't seen the things that I have. My stories will only go so far for you, but you have your own stories, and maybe you haven't named them. Maybe there's something from your past that, that, that you've never realized is a story like this of God's presence, and you need to reconsider it. Uh, what might it be? Uh, I'll bet God is more present in your life than you realize, or maybe, maybe your story is still coming up. Maybe you'll have a story later today. Maybe this very sermon is one of those stories for you. But I ask you, what are your stories? Where have you seen God? And what are your reasons to believe? Allow your doubts to lead you deeper. Allow your doubts to help you ask that question better. Because not only will it save you from erroneous false belief, especially when you get into the details, but your doubts will help make your belief in God more personal. It will make it yours. It will make it the faith that God has intended for you beyond anything else. Let's end by saying the phrase of that father in Mark's gospel one more time, in fact, maybe two more times, because I don't think anything could say it better. Say it with me now. I have faith. Help my lack of faith. One more time. I have faith. Help, oh God, my lack of faith. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for doubt. Thank you for that tool that you've given us that, well, sometimes makes us feel guilty, but in its best, in its healthiest, leads us to a deeper and more personal relationship with you. Lord, help us to feel your presence. Help us to see your presence in the things that happen in the world. 
and help us to be people who believe in you, not because others have told us to, not because we think we ought to, but help us to believe in you because we are who we are and we are who you made us to be. Help our doubts to make our faith our own. We pray it in your holy name, O God. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.